Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters Podcast, a series of candid conversations with leading experts about how individuals and organizations can grow and protect their finances, tailored around current events and trends. Here's your host for today's podcast, Brian Peterangelo. Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters Weekly Podcast, where we casually ramble on about important topics, including the markets, the economy, human ingenuity, and almost anything under the sun giving you the keys to unlock the mysteries of the markets and investing. Today is Friday, April 22nd, 2022. I'm Brian Peterangelo, and with me today, I'd like to introduce our dynamic duo of investing experts. Not only are they willing to share their insights with us, but they're also down-to-earth individuals. George Mateo, our Chief Investment Officer, and Rajiv Sharma, Head of Fixed Income. As a reminder, a lot of great content is available on key.com slash wealthinsights, including updates from our Wealth Institute on many different subjects, and especially our Key Questions article series addressing a relevant topic for investors each Wednesday. So it's been an interesting week, so let's start with a couple recap. The market is relatively flat for the week through Thursday. Housing continues to grow, at least for this month, in spite of what we see as rising mortgage rates. Initial unemployment claims continue to stay low, which is great. And then all eyes and ears seem to be on the Fed and what's going on in the general overall market. So, George, what are your thoughts and, and what are your perspectives? Well, Brian, uh, thanks for that, that setup. I think, um, I think you're absolutely right that the Fed really is the main event for sure. And, you know, if we take our readers and listeners back to maybe as late as uh, the fall of last year, you know, there were some, some nascent signs of inflation for sure. I think at the time, the Fed was saying that there are some causes for concerns. But they felt at the time, if I went back and, and looked at some of the transcripts, that they said, quote unquote, a tighter monetary policy would be a harmful mistake. So that was you know, kind of summer, maybe late, late August, early September. Of course, then they famously pivoted in November and, and started adopting this more hawkish tone. But the rhetoric, as you mentioned, Brian, has really been considerably um, hawkish, meaning that they're more aggressive with respect to raising interest rates taking away liquidity. And, and now they've kind of signaled that they're gonna be doing whatever, it's ta- whatever it takes, frankly, uh, to really try and harness inflation. So we saw that pivot in, in November. That was really interesting in the sense that it took place around the same time that the Omicron virus uh, was starting to spread more recently again in January on the heels of, of the Ukraine situation. Uh, the Fed was also suggesting that in, irrespective of what happens in Ukraine almost, uh, in absence of maybe some short-term price spikes with the commodities which we saw, uh, again, the Fed was really uh, standing pat and ready to do more. And that rhetoric has continued. So they've done a little bit so far, but they've said a lot more. And the rhetoric has become increasingly hawkish. Uh, even just this week, I think now the word that people are using uh, is is exp- expedious, meaning that they have, they have to move quickly to try and uh, aggressive, aggressively combat inflation. And even this past Thursday, just yesterday, um, uh, this call has been recorded on Friday, but just yesterday, um, you know, they, the Fed chair was saying that I think they would have to front load uh, interest rates, meaning they're going to do more quickly uh, than they do more quicker than they uh, they normally would. So the Fed has done a lot, a lot of, of talking, and they started to suggest that they're going to be moving more quickly uh, to really try and front load the uh, the tightening cycle here. Okay, George, that's a great point, and so might be helpful for our listeners to understand. We talk a lot, and some of the press talks a lot about a hard landing versus a soft landing. And what do we think is a soft landing? And maybe you can explain how we think it's actually very challenging for the Fed to achieve a soft landing. It, it is, Brian. And I think we wrote a key question article about this a couple of weeks ago, if people want to go back and look in the library and find that. Um, but the Fed is, is always trying to make sure that they're trying to balance two things, right? They're trying to balance the overall employment situation and at the same time, they're, they're trying to manage price stability, which is code for 
you know, some degree of inflation. I think the Fed would like to see um, inflation at a moderate level. That's just kind of how markets work and how the economy functions, frankly, with some gradual uh, rise in prices. But now they've got a situation where inflation is, is much higher than, than is comfortable. Thankfully, unemployment uh, is very low. So the job market is, is really quite hot right now and quite robust. And so the Fed is trying to kind of cool the economy enough uh, so that they don't see a rise in unemployment. Um, and that's kind of what they refer to as a soft landing. Their track record has been really mixed at doing that, to be honest. And that gives, I think, markets a lot of concern. And it's a legitimate cause for concern because the Fed has only been you know, successful a couple of times of doing this in the past. So they are a little bit late to the game here. Uh, and I think that's one of the reasons why the markets have been anxious, particularly the bond market, where we've seen some significant rise in, in short-term interest rates over the past couple of weeks. Um, but I think the Fed's going to need a little bit of luck on their side, frankly, to pull this one off um, as they've done in the past. So, Georgia, with respect to inflation, there's been increases over the last nine months at record levels for the past four decades. And the beginning of the conversation now is turning to whether or not we think inflation is starting to peak. Do you see any underlying data that might indicate that or do you have any thoughts? We do. And I think that's uh, that's a really good point, Brian. I think it's peaking. Inflation is is kind of peaking, it seems, but it's staying pretty elevated. And And frankly, I don't think anybody can really forecast inflation with a lot of precision. You know, we, we've talked on these calls about a number of different measures that people employ to try and calculate inflation. And uh, there's a lot of, frankly, uh, probably you know, thousands of economists that, that think, um, think around the clock to, to solve this problem of how do we actually calculate inflation. But, you know, the best way I think we can kind of calibrate inflation is just consumer expectations. And so on that front, um, there are some pretty good surveys that just measure how consumers are, are thinking about inflation and where they think inflation might be, you know, in, in a year or two from now. The, the near term read on inflation is a little bit worrisome in the sense that consumers think that inflation will be about 7% next year. And I think what that's kind of really captured is just where inflation is now. So I don't know if that's really a great signal. But uh, if you ask consumers where you think inflation might be in three years, um, it's a little bit elevated. Uh, the good news is it's started to peak too, um, but it's 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 kind of higher than where, where it should be. But it's it's kind of come down a little bit. So I think, you know, two or three months ago, people thought inflation in three years might be four four and a half percent or so. Today, that number is close to three and a half. On a long term basis, it typically has been around two and a half. So we're still kind of a maybe a point or two uh, above the long term average. And and similarly, we look at other survey data that was released this past week that asked the same question to corporate CFOs and, and treasurers and the people that run businesses and ask them, do you expect to be, uh, wait, uh, do you expect to be raising wages uh, for your workers? And that number got as high as 85% just a quarter or two ago. So you know, almost 100% of companies were anticipating uh, lifting wages. That number, again, is also backed off. That number is now at about 70%. Um, you know, a few, few years ago, rather, it was kind of in the 50% range. So again, we've kind of come down a little bit but a lot of these numbers are staying somewhat elevated. So I guess in our view, it's probably true that inflation is peaking and we've seen some evidence of that somewhat anecdotally uh, and sometimes a little bit in the numbers in terms of um, uh, supply chains, freight rates, uh, used car prices and so forth. But at the same time, uh, even if inflation is peaking, it's gonna likely remain elevated for a while given some of these things are just powerful tailwinds that kind of have some long, uh, some persistence to them, meaning that there's likely to be wages uh, going up for a while uh, the housing market is still quite strong, irrespective of interest rates, as you mentioned. It still seems like there's a lot of momentum behind some of these price moves that will probably be with us a bit longer. So, Rajiv, what are you seeing in the fixed income markets and all eyes and ears around the Fed? So pretty important topics. Uh, what, are your, what are your thoughts? 
Uh, we continue to see a sell-off in the fixed income markets. Um, you know, it's really been about the Fed messaging. Uh, Fed messaging has been very aggressive and it's pointing towards employing monetary policy to combat this uh, multi-decade high inflation. So in the process uh, with, with the Fed on the move, rates moving higher, we're seeing the aggregate index down 2.77% for the month. So keeping that in perspective, uh, the bond market is having one of the worst total return periods ever in the history of the bond market year to date at this point in the year. So we all talk about the CPI prints, we all talk about multi-decade high inflation. So we're at a 40 year high in inflation and that's produced the worst bond performance in 40 years, which makes a lot of sense. Uh, rates are moving higher. Uh, and this move that we're seeing is really a move that's reacting to a Fed that the market really feels that is behind the curve. I mean, up till last year, we were hearing the Fed saying inflation's transitory and they kept that narrative all the way through November and then they pivoted. And ever since then, we've been seeing rates move higher. So if you're in any interest-sensitive uh, interest sector, interest rate-sensitive sector, you are going to feel the pain. And that's exactly what's happening in the uh, fixed income markets. Yields are up across the board. Uh, this morning, we're seeing a two-year at 2.76%, which is amazing. Uh, where we were and where we are, it's just a huge surge in yields. Uh, we had 90 basis points, a 90 basis point move in the two-year uh, in March alone. Uh, and if, if the two-year hits 3%, I don't think anybody would be that surprised. I mean, the way rates are moving higher, uh, we could see that continue. So really the question is, how aggressive can the Fed get before breaking something? Uh, we heard Fed Chair Powell yesterday at the IMF panel endorsing a 50 basis point rate hike in May. We even see Fed members like James Bullard talk about a 75 basis point move in May. We don't think that's going to happen, but we do really feel that 50 basis points in May is definitely on the table. And that's definitely something we can see the markets reacting to that. If we look at the Fed funds future market, uh, the expectation is that Fed will raise rates nine times by the end of 2022. So just a few months ago, that number was a four. So really people have moved their estimates for how far the Fed will go. And that's had an impact on the fixed income markets that had an impact on all yields across the yield curve. Uh, there's currently a 90% probability of a 50 basis point hike in May. And uh, there's a 90% chance of another 50 basis point rate hike in the June FOMC meeting. So right now there's about maybe a 50 basis, a 50% chance of a third consecutive 50 basis point hike in the July meeting. So there you have, those are your seven rate hikes right into July. So really what would stop the Fed from continuing its, uh, its move to raise rates higher? We would have to really see some data points in inflation uh, that show that inflation is actually slowing down. But to be honest, I think if we see an inflation print at 5%, that's not really something the Fed's gonna feel like is good enough. And they're gonna continue moving forward with their plans of raising rates. Uh, there's many in industry experts that feel that maybe the Fed will slow down because of the impact on the markets, on the uh, stock market. Uh, I don't think the Fed's done that in the past. I think the Fed will continue to do what it takes to control inflation. They've talked about that being their number one mandate. And I really feel like uh, they're going to continue to do that. And with all this movement in the market, you're seeing credit spreads in investment grade and high yield. They've been pretty well contained, but again, as I mentioned, if you're in an interest rate sensitive sector, you're feeling the pain right now. And even investment grade and high yield both have very terrible returns for the year so far. That's great, Rajiv. And I know last March, and again, most recently, there's also been conversation about the Fed reducing its balance sheet at roughly $9 trillion. So for our listeners out there, 
what does the quantitative tightening or the reduction of the balance sheet actually mean? And then more importantly, how do we how do we equate that or what's the equivalent to in a an in interest rate increment? Is it like another 50 basis point increase when the Fed reduces its balance sheet? That's a great point. Uh, yes, the Fed reduction of the balance sheet is something that we probably hear more about in the May meeting. Uh, it's it's reality. I think the Fed's going to do that. The Fed, you know, is looking at the ten-year. The ten-year is not moving as high as it as the Fed feels like it should. So the curve has been flattening for a while. We did see some steepening in the last two weeks, but we have seen a ten-year that's not really reacting as quick as the front end of the curve is. And so when you see a yield curve that's very flat, it points towards an inversion, which we already saw a couple of weeks ago uh, that there was an inversion for two days for twos tens. So I think the Fed's really looking at the tenure right now. Uh, and by doing quantitative tightening, and re which is a reduction of the Fed balance sheet, um, as you mentioned, $9 trillion, if they start to reduce the balance sheet and they give us some real concrete plan on doing that, and we expect some more, uh, some more um, ideas about what that plan is gonna be in the May meeting, you could see the tenure start to raise, start moving higher. And if the tenure starts moving higher, then you'll see a steeper curve again, which is something the Fed does want to see. Uh, if you look at what a quantitative tightening, the impact of a quantitative tightening is, uh, the market really looks at that as a 25 basis point rate hike. So that's another rate hike that will be the impact of the market. So George, today being Earth Day, it might be a good opportunity to share your thoughts with ESG investing and what we see going on with corporations and where elsewhere in the world. And again, environmental, social and governance investing from an ESG perspective on the acronym. What are your thoughts on ESG, George? Yeah, I think ESG is really here to stay. There's a lot of momentum behind it. Um, companies are taking it very seriously uh, and, and shareholders are responding in kind, meaning that they really are rewarding those companies that are, are ESG friendly, ESG sensitive, and really have adopted some strong ESG principles in the way they run their, their corporations and businesses. It's interesting also, Brian, that Europe has been really at the forefront of a lot of this movement for quite some time. And they're frankly head of the United States in that regard. And maybe pivoting a little bit, I think it's also worth noting that this weekend, perhaps by the time that many people listen to this podcast, uh, will know the outcome of this, but this weekend, there's some critical elections taking place. One of which most notably is in France, um, where we have kind of the rematch, if you will, between um, Macron and Le Pen, who's, uh, who actually was kind of the um, front runner last time in the sense that we had uh, an election five years or so ago. Uh, Macron won, ran away with that election. I think he won, won the vote by um, 67%, which was uh, a pretty wide margin of victory. Today, however, I think the polls last time I looked were pretty close. So I think he's got maybe about a four or five point lead. So he's still likely to um, be reelected, but the margin uh, has, has really shrunken considerably. And I think that's important because uh, as we think about where we are as a country going into the primary season, I think the election narrative will start uh, becoming more of a force. Uh, it's also interesting to see how this plays out in France with respect to what happens in Ukraine, <clears throat> in the sense that there's been a lot of unity, frankly, that's been quite positive uh, around Europe and other countries uh, uh, around the world, frankly, really joining forces to really try and uh, combat the situation uh, in Ukraine. And I think there's likely to be some, some maybe walking back of that if, uh, if Le Pen is, is elected. So I think we have to pay a close attention to what happens in France this weekend, uh, knowing that that's probably a tipping point with respect to the elections here in the United States and also some geopolitical considerations in Ukraine again as well. So for the fixed income markets, ESG has become a very big uh, focus point as well. And I think we've seen a lot of issuance, which is green bond issuance in the last couple of years. The green bond market has moved up, uh, has grown significantly over time. 
Green bonds are those bonds that basically are earmarked for climate initiatives, uh, whether that be uh, um, you know climate initiatives or something in this in the sense of uh, transmission initiatives, uh, pollution initiatives. We've seen a lot of banks issue green bonds. We've seen a lot of other sectors issue green bonds. These are very highly rated bonds. They've done extremely well over time, uh, which is something to really keep a focus on. Uh, the other thing I would mention is that ESG and fixed income, it doesn't have to just be at the issuer level. Many investors that look at ESG and fixed income, they're looking at bonds that are specifically earmarked for ESG initiatives. So we're seeing that market grow as well. So there's two ways to look at it in fixed income. Many investors say, okay, the parent level is um, an issuer that is, has a very high ESG score, uh, then that's great. That's something good. But if it's a, uh, if it's earmarked for specific ESG initiatives, there is a whole other market that's looking specifically at those bonds. And that's something we're going to be focusing on. Fantastic. Thanks, Rajiv. George and Rajiv, thanks for providing your insights. We appreciate it. And thanks to our listeners for joining us today. Be sure to subscribe to the Key Wealth Matters podcast through your favorite podcast app. And as always, past performance is no guarantee of future results. We know your financial situation is personal to you. So reach out to your relationship manager, portfolio strategist, or advisor for more information. And we'll catch up with you next week to see how the world and the markets have changed and provide those keys to help you achieve your financial success. The Key Wealth Matters podcast is produced by the Key Wealth Institute. The Key Wealth Institute is comprised of a collection of financial professionals representing key entities, including key private bank, key bank institutional advisors, and key investment services. Any opinions, projections, or recommendations contained herein are subject to change without notice and are not intended as individual investment advice. This material is presented for informational purposes only and should not be construed as individual tax or financial advice. Bank and trust products are offered by KeyBank National Association, member FDIC, and equal housing lender. KeyBank Private Bank and KeyBank Institutional Advisors are part of KeyBank. Investment products, brokerage, and investment advisory services are offered through Key Investment Services, LLC, or KISS, member FINRA, SIPC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Insurance products are offered through Key Corp Insurance Agency USA, or KIA. KIS and KIA are affiliated with KeyBank. Investment and insurance products are not FDIC insured, not bank guaranteed, may lose value, not a deposit, not insured by any federal or state government agency. KeyBank and its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult their personal tax advisor before making any tax-related investment decisions. This content is copyrighted by KeyCorp 2021.